Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone. What if I told you that you could reduce anxiety, enhance energy, and boost your mood without spending a single cent? Sounds like a tall order, but according to leading happiness scholar and best-selling author Gretchen Rubin, it's not so far-fetched. All it takes is tapping into your five senses. Understanding the ways you see, hear, feel, smell, and taste can help ground you in your surroundings and enhance the way you move in the world. In her latest must-read, Life in the Five Senses, Gretchen even argues that the five senses provide a path to a happier, more mindful life. Now, I'm not saying you should throw out all the professional mental health tools you may have in your toolkit, but taking the time to tap into your environment can help you become way more mindful. In this episode, Gretchen will give you actionable tips to connect to your awareness, which ultimately helps you strengthen your mental health, creativity, and energy. Without further ado, let's get to it. Good to see you. Welcome back. I'm so happy to be talking to you. So you're a prolific author, and I remember that when we had you on the show last time, you teased this book. And so why, why a book on the senses? Well, I had an experience that showed me that I had been overlooking the importance of the five senses. I had a bad case of pink eye, so I went to the eye doctor, and very casually, he said to me, well, you know, you're at more at risk of losing your vision because you're so severely nearsighted. Um, you can get a detached retina. And I, I just did not know that. And so I was, and he told it to me, and I, I have a friend who had just lost some of his vision to a detached retina. So I, I walked out onto the street and I thought, wow, you know, I'm thinking that this is so precious to me, looking at everything around me. And yet I didn't notice one thing on my way over here. I was so stuck in my head. I wasn't, pay- I'm not paying attention to anything. And all of a sudden it was like every knob in my brain got jammed up to the max and I could see everything, hear everything, smell everything and smelling New York city. Um, and and for my whole walk home from the eye doctor it was just pouring in on me and it, and I, but this is happening all the time right i just wasn't paying attention so i realized that that was the piece that i was missing in my in my thinking about happiness is that i wasn't i wasn't paying any attention to the role of my five senses and and i became um just completely um engrossed with trying to understand the five senses and how we can harness the five senses to make our lives happier and healthier and so in the book, you go into great detail, great detail, obviously, but you know, the five senses you, you go through in the book, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching before you kind of walk us through each one of them. I'm curious why that order. Well, you know, scientists would say, they would even say, we don't have five, we have 33 or we have 35. So the first question is why five? Um, but you could call those five the Aristotelian senses or the kindergarten senses. These are the ones that we're very consciously aware of. The other ones tend to work in the background. We're very aware of them if something goes wrong, but we don't pay much attention to them when they're, you know, they're working as they should. So it's like breathing, you, you know, or like your heart beating. It's, it's not that it's not important. You just don't think about it very much. But seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, 
we think about those a lot. They have a lot more glamour. And then they make that is sort of the traditional order. And it makes sense that they're in that order because seeing seeing um, we're wired for sight. It, it has the most real estate in the brain. It has the most sophisticated wiring. Um, if there's a conflict among the senses, sight usually trumps. So sight is first. Hearing is second all in terms of real estate and, and just trying sort of it, how much we rely on it in everyday life. Um, smelling uh, is interesting because smelling is very interesting, is very important for tasting. Um, what a lot of people didn't realize, or maybe they became more aware of during COVID if they lost their sense of smell is that in order to have flavor, like the flavor of food, we have to have smelling plus tasting. If you just have taste, you just have sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and umami. You need smell if you're going to have rich, complex flavors. So smell comes first, then taste, smelling, then tasting, and then touching Touching is different because touching the other four are kind of like nicely packaged on the head and, t and touch has a really important presence on the head. We can really uh, 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 touch, make fine discriminations with our lips and our tongue, um, but it's all over the body. Um, but seeing and hearing, we do at a distance. Smelling needs to be a little closer in. Tasting and touching, it's, you know, direct contact. So it also has to do with like the distance um, and the, le the level of contact. They're kind of going from the out to the in. Um, and that is the traditional order. So I decided to stick with just stick with that. You know, and, and to me, it makes a lot of sense in that I think many of us are just going through life on autopilot. You know, we've got our lists, we've got our kids, we've got our work, and we're going, and the, things are happening all around us. And a lot depends on where you live. I found this specifically when I lived in New York. Like, there's some sounds and things I was just immune to. I lived in Dumbo for 13 years in the subway. I just was immune to it. We're just going on autopilot. Well, and that was certainly my experience. Like I'd be walking on a beautiful beach, but I would be I would be editing a paragraph in my head and I would see nothing, smell nothing, feel nothing, you know, because I was just so um, you know, and 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 uh and I think people are different. Like some people are just sort of like more tuned into their sensory um world and then I think others uh like me really need to very deliberately work at it um, or else it's just very easy to retreat into your own um, your own head. The other reason why I like this, and I listened to you on our mutual friend Dan Harris's podcast talking about this is, in a sense, I think you're making mindfulness more approachable. You know, I think so too. It's funny. Um, I think that sometimes when we think about mindfulness or we think about appreciating the moment, it feels like it, we kind of have to be very disciplined about it. It's kind of this serious thing. And my approach is a very much like playful, fun, like do whatever you feel like, like don't make it hard. Like if you want to do this, do this. If you want to do that, do that. And, and just like, what can you do as part of your ordinary day um, without spending a lot of time, energy or money? One of the things I love about the five senses is you don't need to make an appointment. You don't need to buy anything. You don't need to get trained up. I mean, you might like enjoy learning more. The more we know, the more we notice, but you don't have to. Um, whenever people, whenever I say to people, well, can you think of a way that you could use your five senses in order to help yourself calm down or to, to cultivate more serenity? They instantly have ideas. We're familiar with the five senses. They feel concrete to us. And I think that makes them feel sort of exciting and manageable. Like this is something I can do. Because it's not that it's not important to cultivate mindfulness, but sometimes I think that can feel like sort of a serious, perhaps onerous um, discipline where um, there's a way to be more mindful just by just tapping into your environment in a way that's that's 
you know, very easy. Yeah, look, I, I think a big objection to the health and wellness world is that, you know, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources. And when someone hears mindfulness, they sometimes think, I have to learn this, there's a training, this is an addition. Whereas this feels like integration, it feels like editing. I'm walking around all day, searing, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. So I might as well get some benefit. No, it's 100% true. Absolutely. This is something that's already happening. It's just, we're not paying attention to it. And that was my experience. It wasn't like I was doing anything different. I just wasn't paying attention to what was actually happening. And a great example of your ordinary life. So one of the things that I did, uh, maybe my most ambitious experience experiment for the book was to visit the Metropolitan Museum every day. I'm incredibly fortunate. I live within walking distance of the Met. And I thought, I'll just go every day. I'm very interested in sort of repetition and how an experience would change over time if I did it every day. And I'm kind of an all or nothing person. To me, it feels easier and more exciting to do something every day than to do it some days. But well, but And I thought that was very idiosyncratic, but I heard from a lot of people who like to do that, like might be somebody who does forest bathing and they go to the same sit spot. But then one guy was saying to me, I go to the same like big drugstore every day and just look around and I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's so much happening in a big drugstore. CVS, who knew? I mean, could you go every day and see new things? I think absolutely. And so again, it's like you're waiting in line at the drugstore. Look around. What's happening? What are the seasonal things? How are the clerks interacting with each other? What are the other people in the line doing? If you're in San Francisco, this begs a whole other set of questions. What are they what are they shoplifting? What are they <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's just a lot going on, you know? And, and again, if you, instead of thinking of like, this is like, I need to distract myself from this because it's really boring. It's like, well, what, is, what is actually going on? What kind of music are they playing? Are they playing music? Like there's, there's just, there's a lot happening. And, um, I, I've just found myself that, um, just everyday life is, is far more fascinating um, you know, the whole thing in there about sort of in praise of Heinz ketchup, because ketchup is Heinz ketchup is like this very, very remarkable food and that it has all five of the tastes. It's sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. And that is hard to do. It is very hard to have all five. And if you take one, if you just taste a dollop of ketchup, and I've made so many people do this now, because I'm always like, ketchup is magic. You have to taste this. And they are always like, this is bonkers. I've never really tasted ketchup before. It is so complex. There's so much going on in my in my mouth. There's a there's the mouthfeel. There's the aftertaste. Like it's this is the reason that it's the secret ingredient of so many foods and why people put it on like it's so popular is because it's there's a lot happening and yet we take it for granted and we almost use ketchup as like synonymous for like the the sort of thing that you do when you don't care because it's just this sort of like meaningless condiment that adds nothing. It's like no, take a second, taste the ketchup, and you will really be reminded of why ketchup is magic. And again, it's just this ordinary thing that's part already probably part of your ordinary life. We all have like ketchup packets just like falling out of the glove box, you know. Um, so it's just it's just noticing. It's not hard. How much of this? If we take a step back before we start drilling into each of the senses, do you, you know, is repetition versus novelty. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, that is, it, it's funny that you bring that up. That's very astute that you like honed in on that because in, in an earlier incarnation of the book, I talked about nine senses. And so there were the five. Just, what did you make? What was, what's on the cutting floor? 
Right. Well, so I was going to do like it was the sense of imagination and one of it like was one of them because, you know, we don't we live in a world as humans. We live in a world that is completely changed by imagination. So like symbol. Um, uh, anyway, so I was going to talk about that. And then I was also going to talk about pattern and pattern and novelty, because you're exactly right. This is a huge aspect of how we perceive um, sensation. And I talk about it somewhat in the book because it's inescapable. Um, so for instance, if I, if I give you a smell and I say, do you like this smell? Well, maybe you think it's Parmesan cheese, or maybe you think it's vomit, or maybe I give you a smell and I say, do you like this smell? And I say, this is a, a pillow full of pine needles, or I say, this is an industrial cleaning product. You're going to have a very different, it's the same smell. So your expectation, oh, this cup, you're very ecologically minded. And this is a cup of coffee that is made with all the highest, most cutting edge, ecologically friendly principles, or this is just an ordinary cup of coffee, just made kind of standard industrial practice. You will actually think that the first cup of coffee tastes better. This bottle of wine costs $300. You will actually think it tastes better and the, the pleasure centers in your brain will light up more. So expectation and imagination, um, pattern recognition, this is all crucial to how we perceive things. And with, with novelty and repetition, this is where you see a huge, I think, variety in how people experience. In general, um, there's a tension. The brain is attracted to novelty. We're always interested in new things. This is what drives fashion and music and art. Like, and, and we tend to enjoy things more when they're new. On the other hand, repetition, familiarity is easier for the brain to process. So as things become more familiar, we tend to like them more. So there's this constant tension. Um, so you just think about something like music. At first, you're like, what is that? And then you're like, ooh, I like it. Then you're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then you get sick of it. How do, how, do, how do we optimize there so we can enjoy the song for as long as humanly possible without ruining it for ourselves? Well, see, I think this is where there is no one size fits all rule, because I think people are very different in how they think about novelty and repetition, because I have a very, very high tolerance of repetition. I love to repeat. I will constantly... Uh, my sister Elizabeth is my co-host of the Happier uh, with Gretchen Rubin podcast, and Elizabeth will never reread a book, and she never will watch a television show again. Whereas I, I'm having a summer of rereading. I'm I'm rereading books this summer. I love to reread. I will often watch. T it's very hard for me sometimes. Like I want to watch Mad Men again so much that it's hard for me to make myself watch Better Call Saul, even though I love Better Call Saul and it's new. I'm like, but I'd like to watch Mad Men again. I like it better the second time. So I love repetition. But then some people, or like going to the Met every day. I love, to me, it's richer and richer and richer every time. I'm like, I'm going to go to the Met every day for the rest of my life. That year is long over. I still go every day. But some people are like, there's so much variety in the world. Why would you limit yourself to repeating an experience? So I think people have a very different, they have a very different level of interest. And so I don't think it's like, how do we optimize it? It's like, how do you optimize it? Where do you find that sweet spot between I want to do something new and enjoy all the benefits of novelty? And research shows that people who do new things are happier, even something as simple as trying new restaurants. So that's absolutely true, even for someone like me who loves repetition and familiarity. But on the other hand, you want to, I think that the benefits of familiarity are sometimes overlooked um, because it, because you will experience something in a different way if you experience it over and over. So I, I don't think that there's an easy answer. I think it, and it's even sense to sense, like music is an unusual um, art form in that it really withstands repetition well. 
many, 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 many people will repeat, will listen to the same album over and over that would not reread the same book over and over. Um, but there does become a point where you wear out a song. You know, we've all done it where you're like, okay, I can't listen to that for 10 more years. You know, I need to let a lot of time go by. But it's, but it's different for everyone. Well, if you think about it, you know, we've all had moments where we're, you know, stuck, you know, personally or professionally. And, and, and invariably the, the, the cliche comes up, you know, maybe you need to change the scenery. Yeah. I never thought of that. You're so right. Yes. Yes. That's such a, I never, yeah, these metaphors are so embedded that it's hard to even notice them. Yeah. What, what I'm getting at is sometimes that's true. You need to, you know, go to a new place, maybe vacation or, or do the same walk every single day. And there's, there's beauty in that, but sometimes you need to take a completely different route to work or, or vacation somewhere else. What do you think? I'm curious your take on how much of it is we just need to do a better job of optimizing what we already do and being more present and mindful because we're not, we're just like going through the motions in our walk to work on, you know, I'm walking down Madison Avenue straight line every single day. I'm going through the motions. I'm not even aware to what's going on versus I need to like do a 180 and walk west and then go north and do a loop around to get where I need to go. Like how much do you think is we're just kind of numb versus we need to really like change things up. This is again, like novelty versus repetition. Well, I don't think there's one right answer. So, because everybody would be different. And then, and of course you're always, you're also limited by circumstance because like, is it possible for you to do something in a new way or not? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So the question becomes like, well, how do you decide for yourself? Because there's clearly no one right answer because one person might find that, you know, there's a lot to see if you're walking straight down Madison Avenue. So just start paying attention to what's happening. Maybe you don't need to go out of your way. You just need to pay attention to what's happening. Um, but for somebody else, you're right. They need to really have a change of scenery. This comes up a lot. I wrote a book called Better Than Before about habit change. And some a similar tension comes up there because some people will argue if you want to change a habit, it's much, much better to make small incremental change. That's the best way. That's the right way. That's the most effective way. But I know from studying habits, that's not necessarily true. For some, many people that works really well, small incremental change, there's all kinds of reasons why that's a good idea. But some people are bored by that. They're like, I want to go big or go home. I want a big radical change or I'm not interested. And I'm like, who's to say that's not the right way to do it? It's whatever way works for you. So the question is, what do you need? What do you want? What works for you? And so then, so then it's like, well, are there kind of useful things to think about? And one might be, um, do you feel like you can wake up to your familiar walk and that would feel exciting? Or do you feel like, no, I, I just, I feel, it feels so worn out. It feels so tired and so just, you know, limp in my hands that I want to like find a different way. Um, one thing that's funny is if you do something frequently, do it back, do it the opposite way. Like if you usually go for a walk one way with your dog, do it the opposite way. It's bonkers how hard that is. It's really hard to just do something like counterclockwise. If you usually do it clockwise, like when I walk through the Met and it all, it looks completely different. When I walk backwards, I'm like, this, it feels like a completely different experience. And I've talked to people that, because in, there's hilarious research in grocery stores. When people go to grocery stores, there's this tendency that you go to the right. They will not go to the left as they enter a grocery store. And there are these funny stories where like, they'll be going, they'll be having construction or something and they'll have all these things blockading the way to stop, to try to direct people to go the opposite direction. And they're like, people would be like climbing over it. It's like, they, they're like, 
they're like, can't wrap their minds around the idea that I'm going to enter going the opposite direction. So there's a lot of ways that you could, if you really, but this goes back to the idea of mindfulness. The first thing is to be like, I need to do this. I need to wake myself up. How might I wake myself up? Maybe I'd go backwards. Maybe I'll have a completely different route. Maybe I'll wake myself up to the possibilities um, that I usually do. Maybe instead of listening to a podcast or music when I'm driving to work, I'll have silence. So I really am like really am focused on what I'm seeing because I need something uh, like I have place in my brain. Um, so I think it's like what what sounds appealing to you? What would make it fresh and interesting to you? Um, I don't think there's a rule um, because we br we each bring so much to it. I'll make a sweeping generalization, but <laughs> it, it's my view that I think we've become so numb that many of us are opting, you know, to maybe leave a job too quickly or drop everything and go to Bali or complete, you know, make these hard these hard rights or 180 degree shifts that maybe are, look, sometimes they're necessary. Sometimes you need that eat, pray, love moment. But I think many of us just aren't really finding the, 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 maybe the joy or the awareness in the, the mundane. And we're just kind of like jumping to something else. No, I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. And I think sometimes people feel like, they kind of create a false choice, which is I keep my same boring life where nothing changes and everything feels dull, or I throw it all away and, and move across the country and like, you know, completely change my style of living. And you're sort of like, yeah, but maybe there's a, there's, maybe there's a third way here, you know? And I think you're right that if you have that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I need to shake myself up, or I do, I do feel numbed out, or I feel like nothing's like, nothing's penetrating anymore. I, I think that part of this is like we're behind screens, like people aren't going out the way they used to. They're not mixing it up the way they used to. Like maybe it is like, like think about, well, how can you, how can you, how can you bring the sense of vitality and change um, through the five senses? So maybe it's not even so much novelty in terms of like going to a new place, but bringing a new, as you were saying, bringing a new frame of mind to it, like a new attentiveness um, so that it feels fresh and interesting um, even if it's the same basic, um, you know, structure, uh, I think that's a hundred percent true. Um, and sometimes people want to change something that feels like obvious to change instead of really changing what needs to change. Yes. hundred percent requires much deeper work. Uh, <laughs> so let's go there. Let's go to the senses. So seeing we, you know, for, for those who are blessed with with eyesight i also want to make a point of a lot of these things people aren't you know blessed with senses but for those you know we'll, we'll assume for the sake of the podcast everyone is so for those who can see how can we all see better in our everyday well see I, and my approach is very much focused on me uh, this is my whole thing i'm like a street scientist i i'm the student i teach what i need to learn so i would never tell you um it's all like it's just i think what's fun about my approach is i talk about what i tried and then people go off and they think about well what would they want to do so i'm not like prescribing like these this is what you should do i'm like well this is what i tried and then you figure it out for yourself and that feels much more fun i think people find that much more creative um because it's more like i'm providing an idea so i went to the med every day as one of my big exercises in in seeing um, another thing that I did that was really fun is looking for the uh, like overlooked in logos and brands. Like a lot of um, brands 
have like very clever um, hidden features, um, which if you look for them, they're not hidden at all. Like um, FedEx is like, my, okay, the hidden arrow, you can't unsee it once you see it, but a lot of people don't see it. Uh, speaking of arrows, Amazon, every you know, a smile from A to Z. I didn't notice that for like 10 years. Tostitos, Hershey's, there's a hidden eight on the eight of diamonds and playing cards. So just like that can be really fun. Or even just like back to the idea of like what's going on in a big drugstore. It's like, look at the colors, different colors signal what your product does in a drugstore. And it's really funny. It's like, go to different sections and be like, why is everything brown? Why is everything green? Why is everything red? Like, just think, why, well, how are they using yellow? How are they using knockoffs? Like, it's just when you start thinking about these as sort of like art projects that are you know, branding exercises. Oh, wait, I mean, something that somebody told me I had never done, which is so fun to do, is if you're in a foreign country, go to a drugstore and go to a grocery store. Not to buy anything, but just to look around because it is absolutely fascinating because you see it fresh because everything is sort of new. You're like, I didn't know you could sell rhubarb that way or like, what the heck is this stuff? Like, I've never seen this before. Like, why do they have a whole shelf of that thing? Like, what is that thing for? I have a friend who's really into the sense of taste and she will go into a, she goes into a store and into a grocery store and tries to buy something that she has no idea what it is. And then she eats it. And I'm, she's like, I found some pretty weird stuff. And it's like, what is that? I mean, I, I like to me, I'm like, that sounds really fun, but kind of bonkers. Um, so yeah, it's just like, look around and try and try to really see and think about what you're seeing. And now, of course, like a museum, but you could do like a lot of people obviously find this to be enormously exciting to do in nature, like maybe trying to identify plants or birds. People do this with hearing too, under, you know, uh, like listening to birdsong as a way to hear in a different way. The more we know, the more we notice. And so by sometimes by educating yourself, you can notice more. Um, but certainly people, I love to walk in Central Park as much as I love to walk in the Met. Um, and, uh, but you know, like a, like a, a fun neighborhood. I, there, so yeah, the sense of sight. architecture, everything. Oh, architecture, you. Yeah. Yeah. Just look at windows, look at roofs, look at chimneys. Yeah. And I yeah, think the, the larger, before we move on to, to hearing, it reminds me of an active conversation we're having with our six-year-old daughter, where we repeatedly say, you need to figure out how to be bored. Because she'll say, you know, I'm bored when we go out to a restaurant or we're in the car yes. for a drive. I'm bored. And she'll get frustrated. And we'll say, well, let's, you got to learn how to be bored. And, and, you know, she doesn't have a device or can, uh, any of that. And But, like, I think that's a struggle, not only for children, but for adults, because we're used to devices. We're not good at being, quote, unquote, bored. There's so much out there in terms of the senses we can focus on. We don't do it. I absolutely agree. And I think boredom is very important. I'm very, I know I'm paradoxically, I'm fascinated by boredom. Um, and one of the things that I found at the Met was um, like, I used it as a kind of recess because I have a very discipline. I'm very like overly disciplined and, and if anything rigid. And so I wanted to create a time for play and just like letting my mind off the leash. And so as I would walk around the Met, it wasn't like I, ha I wasn't trying to discipline my mind. I wasn't trying to do walking meditation. I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just sort of trying to like, just be interested in what I was seeing. But sometimes that's boring. Like sometimes I just did, I brought kind of a bored mind and I, you know, a, a boring mind finds a boring museum. You know, I'm the museum. Um, but often it's when I was bored, then I would have like a big insight, you know, because your brain is like open and like trying to entertain itself. And that's when I would have a big insight. Um, like I had this insight, like that the beautiful often requires a little bit of ugly. 
And I mean, like how that was like a thousand pieces of information clicking into place in my head. And I mean, I almost like jumped for joy. I was so excited by my own brilliant insight, you know, but I'm like, I don't know that I would have had that brilliant insight if I'd been, you know, walking around listening to a podcast, because as much as I love listening to podcasts, I would have been thinking about, you know, whatever, Antinous or whatever the podcast was about. And, um, and so this, this board, you're exactly right. You need this like open searching, like needing to entertain itself um, uh, 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 time in order for sort of new ideas to bubble up. I mean, this is why people get ideas in the shower or in the middle of the night um, because it's, it's a downtime where then the brain is kind of, kind of creating its, creating its own fun. So we'll, we'll segue to, to hearing. How can we hear? How can we listen? Oh, so, you know, listening to other people is probably one of the most important things that we do with our sense of hearing. And I'm not a very good listener, uh, which I knew. So I did a manifesto for listening to, uh, to remind myself of all the kind of most important principles for listening that I wanted to keep in mind. Um, so everything from like, like, let's say you're at a party. One way to signal to someone that you're listening is that you move your body parallel to their body. You don't keep your shoulders open. So you're kind of like half turned to the crowd. You really show to somebody, you have my full attention. I'm turned right to you. Um, if you're not, I'm putting down my book, I'm putting down my phone. I'm, I'm, I'm turning off the television. I'm giving you my full attention. Um, research is starting to show that like even the presence of a phone, even a phone that's face down is distracting to people in a conversation. It makes you, them feel like you've got one foot out. And so hiding your phone is a way to show that someone has your full attention. Um, I realized one of my own kind of personal issues was um, when people would start talking about something that felt un uncomfortable like something they were upset about something, whatever, that even without realizing it, I would start to try to get them onto safer ground. Like I would do this instantly without realizing it instead of staying in the moment. So I really have a lot of items on my manifesto for listening about like allow awkward silences to fall. Don't have an answer. Just paraphrase. Do I, you know, do I understand you? Just say, I'm sorry. Don't try to solve. My personal thing is I would, I jump in with a reading uh, a reading recommendation, whatever's wrong with you, wrong and you're, you know, that you're grappling with. I've, you know, you're your kids having social issues. I have the best book for you. You're going, you know, What's you're up, oh, <laughs> best friend, best friends, worst enemies, understanding the social lives of children by Michael Thompson, outstanding book recommended all the time or how to talk. So kids will listen or and listen. So kids will talk such a fantastic book or like you're getting a divorce. I would be divorce busting. Oh, such an amazing book. And, but, but what I realized is like, this is my way to like, we're, we're, instead of talking about you and how, your pain, now we're talking about a book recommendation that feels safer. I still think I would take Ruben's book recommendations very seriously. But what I do now is I follow up with an email. I'm like, here's the book that I think I mentioned, you know, instead of like immediately talking about it, because for me, it was a way to move a conversation. And so you're right. It's not like I can't offer up a resource that I think would be really helpful. But in the moment, the, what the person wants is for me to say like, wow, that sounds really hard. Or like, well, then, then what happened? Or, you know, and, and to stay and to stay, or, or if they keep circling around something, you know, sometimes somebody keeps raising a subject and you're like, okay, I guess, 
I guess you really want to talk about this. Like now we're going to just, we're going to go there. Um, and just to be aware of that. So, I mean, it really has made me feel much closer to the people in my life. I think I'm a much better listener now that I have really, really thought through what I need to do better. Well, can you talk about reflective listening and how that's effective for, for those who aren't good at this, like myself? It is. It, yeah. Listening sounds very passive and easy, but it's actually very active and very difficult. So with reflective listening, it's like you just tell somebody what you think you've heard. You just try to reflect back to them um, what they told you. And the fact is sometimes you get this wrong, but that's actually very useful. Like I, I have a teenage daughter and, um, you know, sometimes she'll tell me about like some kind of incident she had with a friend and I'll say, well, that sounds like it must have been really frustrating. And she was like, well, it wasn't that it was frustrating. It was just that it made my, like, it really hurt my feelings. And I was like, oh, okay. That really, so that really hurt your feelings when he said, blah, 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 blah. And so it's just, and, and that really makes people feel like you understand. And this is true for everyone. I remember with my mother-in-law, um, she was just complaining about the cable, you know, the cable guy didn't come on time. Right. It's we've all been there. And you know, and, and you want to just like, it's, it doesn't seem important. It's kind of a boring thing to talk about. So you want to just move the conversation forward so you, you don't respond. So then she raised, I didn't respond. So then she raised it again. This was really like, this was really, and then, and then I said something like, oh, but then he, but then he came eventually. Yes. But then she raised it again. It was really annoying. And then it's like, reflect back. Like, wow, it must have been really, really frustrating for you when you had organized your whole day because the cable guy was supposed to come at one o'clock and he didn't come up until three. And so you felt like your whole day was consumed with this thing that took a half an hour. And she was like, yes. And then we talked about something else. Like people just need to feel like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, do you hear me? And like the more that you just are like, I hear you. And I'm gonna, I can reflect, and that way that I show that I hear you is that I reflect back to you what you've just told me. And it is astonishingly effective. So, you know, we, we touched on music a little bit and our ability to overplay a song until it drives us nuts. How, 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 do, we, how do we think about hearing in our everyday to, you know, lift us up when we're, when we're down, to bring energy when we wanna work out, uh, what to avoid? Well, music is one of the quickest ways um, to uh, to boost our energy, to intervene in our mood. Uh, as you pointed out, like music makes things that are effortful seem less onerous. Um, it helps us come into synchronization with other people, which is why this is the funny thing about music. It's actually quite mysterious. Music is present in every human culture, but they're not really sure why. Because it's not clear why something that's not evolutionarily necessary is so omnipresent, but clearly it's enormously significant because all human cultures share it. And so, and it, and it does do all these things that we were just talking about. Um, so it's very, very powerful. It's something to, to really think about, like, if you want to lift your spirits, if you want to boost your energy, if you want to put yourself in a contemplative mood, um, if you, if you need to synchronize with other people because you're like doing some kind of work that where you want to do it, um, it's a, it's a great way. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's just an absolutely, um, uh, valuable tool. And I think something for me, it has the ability, I think more so than maybe smell or taste or sight to, to bring me back to a place of nostalgia. There are certain songs, you know, when I hear, 
uh, Pearl Jam. It brings me back to my junior year of high school, driving around in one of my best friend's Jeeps. Like it just, no matter what, even though, and I, I don't, and I think I can't escape that even if I wanted to. Why is that? I think that um, that's one of the big powers of the five senses is to evoke the past. And this was really important to me because I don't feel like I'm that in touch with my own past experience. And so anything that helps me to evoke memories is really valuable to me. And you're absolutely right. I think all five senses really can, we can really use them to evoke memories and to share memories because then you can reminisce with other people. You could be like, oh, let's talk about what were the songs that we listened to this. There's a really fun website called the Nostalgia Machine and you enter into a city, I mean, not a city, a year and it will it will um show you like uh uh like um you can click on all the different songs and it will play a music video or whatever and a clip of the song and so you can just like go you know hit 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 through you know your senior year of college your freshman year of high school whatever it is it's super fun and it is it's a nostalgia machine because hearing that music just brings it all back there's songs that you forgot that you remembered and you know every single word um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, but I think this is this is a superpower of all five senses: the taste of your childhood, um, what you ate for breakfast um, in college, uh, you know, what you you know your drink of college, and then what what drinks I avoid because of college. Exactly, we've all got them. Um, you know, the different, you know, the wallpaper, you know, this, it, which is sight and it, this all the, the senses have, have so much power to evoke memories. And then we can share those memories with other people. And that's a great way to engage about the past through the senses. And, and so segueing to the next two, I think there's an interplay in their cousins, smell, smell and taste. Can you talk about the interplay there? Yeah, well, so with smell, we need to have smell if we're going to have flavor, um, because otherwise taste is just the basic, uh, uh, you know, sweet, salt, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. And a very easy way to taste this is if you have something like a jelly bean, something that has a very complex flavor like that, um, plug your nose, pop the jelly bean into your mouth, and you'll taste like a hit of sweet. It will taste very, very sweet but it'll taste kind of just like plain sweet. And then if you unplug your nose, if you've got something like a jelly belly, you'll get like very complex cherry or bubble gum or root beer or whatever flavor it is. And so you realize like we actually smell with our noses. And so, um, and you realize, and I think sadly, a lot of people experienced this during COVID because they would think that it was their sense of taste that had been affected. Whereas in fact, it was actually their sense of smell that was affected, but, but because they had lost their sense of smell, it was affecting their sense of taste. Um, traditionally in the West, the sense of smell has been kind of seen as sort of a bonus sense or kind of like nice to have it, but who really needs it? But, but because of COVID, I think people are much more aware now of like the extremely important role that smell plays in our lives what like its contribution to our sense of vitality and engagement with other people and i mean the people who who i I have friends who really haven't their sense of smell hasn't really come back and they're really bereft of that of that sense and so it, it really is is very important um i am very attuned to the sense of smell i went into writing life in five senses really appreciating my sense of smell um but it's interesting i have a quiz it's super fun quiz at GretchenRubin.com slash quiz if people want to take it. And it tells you what's your neglected sense. And this is this will tell you the sense that you neglect. And this is good to know because it's your low-hanging fruit. Because if you don't tap into it, um, this is a great place to find adventure or novelty, as we were talking about, or to engage with other people. 
to turn to it for pleasure or comfort because you, with an appreciated sense, you're already doing all that stuff. With the less, with the ones that you neglect, um, you have a lot of you have a lot of opportunity. Um, so for me, my most neglected sense was taste. So I had all these things to do with taste, but with smell, I was already very like appreciating my sense of smell. I have all kinds of smell collections and all kinds of things of smell. Um, but I hadn't appreciated how much my sense of smell contributed to my sense of taste. So for me, those two work together. My most, one of my most appreciated and my most neglected. Interesting. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. You know, as we think about smell and taste and the interplay, you know, you mentioned ketchup, jelly beans, you know, obviously not, not healthy foods. And, you know, as I think about, you know, nutrition and, and, and how people can get healthier, I think of big food and, they're masters at manipulating here. Mark, the great Mark Schatzker wrote a fantastic book about this. We, we don't have a chance. And what I'm particularly interested in, I'm curious if you have a view here, is knowing that, that there are going to be you know, heavily processed foods that are going to taste amazing and they are going to have, they are going to hit every sense and just hit us. Knowing that, how can we manipulate, or not manipulate, how can we take that into consideration and give ourselves a fighting chance so that we start to enjoy, you know, maybe broccoli or an apple or whatever it might be. And because I think we also, this idea of becoming numb, I think when we're having that like amazingly delicious ultra processed food that just hijacks the senses, it's hard for us to maybe have a amazing luscious tomato in the summer that is ripe with flavor like we just don't even we can't even process it it's lost on us well i'll tell you what i did and it's not something that would work for everyone so i'm not saying that again i i, I teach I, I i'm this student here and so the you know research is me search this is what i did um i quit sugar i i have i have an extremely strong sweet tooth um i have a lot like nothing's too sweet for me i have a really uh, uh, strong sweet tooth and i just found it really boring um to just be constantly being kind of nagged by this this sweet tooth and kind of trying to manage it and 12 years ago i was on vacation i read a book um called why we get fat by gary tobbs because i was very interested in insulin my sis my sister elizabeth is a type 1 diabetic so at that time I was really trying to learn more about insulin and that's a book about insulin. So I read it and it just, it just convinced me like I should give up, I should just quit eating sugar. And I gave up basically all carbs. So I don't eat grain, rice, starchy vegetables, most fruits. Like I really, everybody needs a hobby. And my hobby is I don't really eat carbs. I eat green leafy vegetables and nuts. And other than that, I don't really eat any, any carbs and I don't eat sweet things. And here is the thing that, that I just will say to people, this is something that happens. And, and and writing Life in Five Senses revealed to me something that had always puzzled me in terms of giving up, uh, quitting sugar. Now, on the I will say um, that for me, taste is my most neglected sense. So I think it was probably easier for me than it would be for other people because I just didn't care as much. So 100% that's true. And I'm, all, I'm also an all or nothing person. Like I want to go to the Met every day because I'm kind of an all or nothing person. So I bring that to it. But I decided that I would quit eating sugar. I did it overnight. And here's the thing that people would say to me that puzzled me. They would say, but Gretchen, as you go through the day, you're surrounded by food cues. You go on social media, luscious desserts. You walk down the street, 
rows of, of delicious pastries. You're in an airport and they're wafting the, the Auntie Anne's pretzels and the chocolate chip cookies and, and how can you resist it? And I was like, how do I resist it? Because I don't feel like I'm resisting it. It doesn't feel like a big deal. I'm like, I don't know. Like, but yeah, I mean, I smell the Auntie Anne's just like anybody else. And I mean, but I, what's going on? Well, writing Life in Five Senses showed me what's going on. My brain is not your brain. My brain is like, what does Gretchen need to know? What is Gretchen interested in? It doesn't, it's not an objective reporter. It's editing constantly. It's moving certain things to the foreground and moving other things to the background. My brain is like, Gretchen doesn't eat that stuff. Gretchen doesn't need to know about that stuff. That's not useful information for Gretchen. And it all fades to the back. So I don't eat that stuff. Like I don't, I eat ketchup. I mean, I would have a dollop of it as like a science experiment, but I would never eat ketchup in, in my everyday life um, because I quit sugar. Um, but so all, all those cues go away. And so sometimes when people are like, it's, and again, this goes, this is something that I write about in my book better than before, which is about abstainers versus moderators. Abstainers are people who find it easier uh, to, to to be all or nothing, to give up something altogether, because there's kind of like, I have none or I have 10. I have no Thin Mint cookies or I have 10 Thin Mint cookies. And then moderators are people where they're like, they get kind of, um, they get kind of uh, overwhelmed if they're told they can never have something. So they they like a little bit. They like it sometimes. They like one square of fine chocolate every day. And I keep, a, I keep it in my desk and I just have the one square. I'm like, I can't have one square. I can have no squares or I can have the whole chocolate bar. But but just to have one square, it's, I'm going to be thinking about it all day long. It's easier for me to have none. And again, it's like, I'm not saying everybody's an abstainer. Absolutely not everybody's an abstainer. But it's something that you can do. And when people think about being an abstainer, I think they think, oh, but if I tried to do that, I would be so overwhelmed all the time. And I'm like, no, because pretty soon your brain is like, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a, you walk into a store and there's a bowl of candy that you could have, uh, you could take a couple candies for free, but you don't eat those candies. So that just, you're not even going to notice that bowl. Whereas somebody who's like really looking for the candy that like their, their, their eyesight is going to go right there because that's important information for them. So their brain is spotlighting that. Whereas for somebody else, it just, so it's not, so it's not as, um, you're not as bothered by all those, a bliss point doesn't matter to me because I don't have that bliss point. So I don't need to think about it and I don't need to, I don't, I don't need to deal with it. And again, I'm not saying this is for everybody. This is not what everybody would want, but this is what works for me. And I just, I just, I remind people that it's like, it, it's something to try if something else isn't working for you. I kind of love it. And hearing you speak, it makes me think that maybe one of our biggest issues in health and wellness is we, we don't, we're, we're not fully aware if, or self-identify as I'm a moderator or an abstainer. And I think when you start to, when you don't know which bucket you fall in, that's when you run into serious issues. Well, and I'll tell you what, nutritionists are almost always moderators. And they will say things, and, and, they, and they believe it because it's true for them. You don't demonize one food. Don't say all or nothing. Moderation is pleasant to the wise. Follow the 80-20 rule. And I've heard from so many people that were like, I didn't know I could just give it up altogether until you said like that, that worked for you. And like, that's so much easier. And people say, but it's so hard to give up something. And I'm like, no, it's easier. It's too hard for me to eat moderately. I can't do that, but give it up altogether. I can do that. I think a lot of people know, and I, and anecdotally, I know a lot of people, you know, for example, people have overcome addiction 
many of those people, they know they've got a problem and they're the people that are 100% vegan or 100% paleo or I meditate every day. Like they know. Like or they, they don't are, smoke or they don't exactly. drink or they're, they they're don't ever drink coffee. Yeah. They're, self, they're very self-aware. I, I, I am in the all or nothing bucket and they're right. good with that. But, but also people, you might be a moderator about some things and abstainer about others. Like I have a really strong sweet tooth, so I'm an abstainer about sweets, but like I can have half a glass of wine. And a friend of mine is like, I can have no wine or I can have four glasses of wine. I've never had a half a glass of wine in my life. But to me, it's like, I can be moderate about that because that's not my thing. So even one person can be, it's not, I, 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 you can be, you can be a mix depending on like, maybe your thing is like crunchy, salty. And you're like, I can't have one potato chip, but I can have one Oreo. Again, it's like it, it, there's people want there to be like one hard and fast rule, whereas instead it's like, well, what works for you? Like, when do you succeed? What feels easy to you? What what appeals to you? What When have you succeeded in the past? Because that is going to be more helpful for you than somebody saying like, well, this is the thing that you have to do. And But I think we can all learn from each other because... Like I learned uh, the way I figured out that I was an abstainer is I was reading Samuel Johnson, who um, somebody offered him, you know, this is Dr. Johnson, the lexicographer. So he was at a party and somebody offered him wine. And he said, they said, will you take a little wine? And he said, I can't take a little. Abstinence is as easy to me as temperance would be difficult. And when I read that, that's when I'm like, that's me. Samuel Johnson described something that's true for me. This is a thing. It's not just me being weird. It's like, this is a thing. It's true for Dr. Johnson. And you know what? I think it's true for me. And so again, it's not that it's the right way. It's just that for some people, it is the right way. Yes. Agreed. So touch. I, I think this is this is one that we don't talk enough about in terms of healing powers of touch, in terms of anxiety. Uh, touch. Take us through touch. I think there should be a lot more scientific research into this. This is a place where I was very, very surprised uh, that there was not more uh, exploration of the importance of the sense of touch. We have a whole system in the body that is just for to to under to pick up on social touch. You're exactly right. It's 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 an ancient. It's been throughout the ages. It's been associated with comfort and healing. Um, Babies, I mean, as we know from like sad experience that babies that don't have social touch are, are very, very negatively um, uh, impacted by that. My own daughter, one of my daughters was born early and I did this thing called kangaroo care where you go, I would go, I would scrub in and like first thing in the morning, I would go in to the neonatal intensive care unit and I would just hold her against my bare stomach just the whole day rocking her back and forth because they're like that that touch that just being held being against the, the other skin is will help your baby thrive and i could feel it like it felt like this mystical force like um and so we yeah so we need this and i but i think you're right like we don't talk about it enough um and even not even human touch but like touching an animal can be so comforting or, you know, somebody was telling me that in hospice, they try to have like light, fluffy, soft blankets because it's so comforting for people to have something kind of like comforting and soft to hold on to. And, you know, just like little kids have their, their, you know, their comfort objects. I had this funny, again, like a lot of things with, in writing life in five senses, things that I did already that I had no idea why I was like, I had no self insight into what I was doing. I realized that a way I use touch to calm myself is that I hold a pen um, 
even in situations where there would be no way even to use a pen. But I realized that if I'm like, I'm, I'm backstage getting ready to give a big talk that I'm a little anxious about, I would just walk around with a pen in my hand. That just makes me feel, or I'm at a, I'm at a cocktail party where I don't know anybody. Why do I have a pen in my hand? I don't, I'm not going to take notes. I could take notes on my phone if I needed to, but I like to hold a pen in my hand. So you mentioned walking into a cocktail party where you don't know anyone. You have a great tip. Can you share that tip? Oh, about, okay. So if you don't know anybody, a great way to connect is to uh, comment on a shared sensory experience, because this is something that you both share in the moment. So you might say, I love this song, but I don't know the name of the song. Do you know the name of the song? Or those hors d'oeuvres look really good. Have you tasted anything? What should I try? Or this is really great art on the wall. Like, don't, isn't this amazing? Or, um, uh, like, uh, what a beautiful flower arrangement. Like I could smell the lilacs from here because that is something where somebody will be there. They already have something that they're sharing with you and it will tie, tie you to the moment together. And what about, you know, something else that was, which was great. I loved from you is what about when you're walking into a group and there's no one there, like break, breaking the ice. No, you don't know anyone. You walk up and you say, I don't know anyone. <laughs> yes. It works. But you guys look it. like sane people and having a great conversation. Can I join? Yes. No. And the thing is, people are nice. People will, will allow you to join their conversation. It's uh, it's really remarkable. You just you just say it. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, here's another. If you're if you're trying to quiet a crowd, um, uh, just uh, sound a note on a harmonica. That works like magic. I think this is one of the magic tricks from the book. Um, it's the it's so much better than banging on a glass or calling or whistling or whatever. Just but you have to have a harmonica with you. But if you know you're going to be needing to give a wedding toast or you know you're going to go to a conference where you're going to have to get a big crowd of people to to stop talking, works like a charm. And you also drew in some research from sports. Could you talk about what you learned from sports as it relates to touch? I'm not sure what you're what you're referring so like to. sport like this idea of touch like someone maybe gets uh injured or like the 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 heel like hands like example i heard this isn't really sports but it but it's injury bad news you use an example where someone someone getting a diagnosis and a doctor walks in you know this idea of receiving news when there's touch when you're holding hands with someone versus not holding hands and like the power, the healing power of touch. Well, one thing about touch that's quite remarkable is that how it changes the, the atmosphere around an encounter. So if you're a doctor and you're giving difficult information, like I have a friend who had very serious cancer and a doctor told, gave her very bad news. And she said to him, um, if you're going to tell me something like that, you need to be holding my hand. And um, I found even in my own life, like one of the ways I use touch is um, if I'm having a difficult conversation with my husband, either because we're talking about something that's painful or it's just like annoying, like we're having to like sync up our calendars for the next few weeks, which always like makes us just sort of bicker. Um, if I make sure that like our, we're sitting side to side, so our knees are touching, or I have my hand on my on his back or on his arm, or if I reach out and touch his hand when I'm saying something that I know he doesn't want to hear or whatever, it just immediately gives it like a more tender, attentive um, atmosphere. Now, of course, we're talking about appropriate touch because, you know, touch is very touchy um, because it is so charged. 
Um, and it, and that, and it's, it, when it goes wrong, it can go so wrong, but, but it is, but when used properly it is so powerful. You know, it reminds me back, God, I had to go back 10 years when I would go to yoga all the time in New York City, you know, in Shavasana, people would be lying down and, and, and teacher would come by and give Shavasana like a little bit of like that neck rub. And for some people who are going through stuff, they would just have these emotional, like cathartic moments where they would be, you know, they, they were come to tears. It was all good. It was like cathartic, but really powerful. Yeah, no, it it is. I mean, that's the thing about the senses, but there is something special about the sense of touch. And again, I'm very surprised that there hasn't been more research into how to use it, um, especially for pain relief. And, you know, um, because there, there is, and, you know, I wonder if a lot of practices, you know, getting manicures, getting your hair cut, acupuncture, um, uh, chiropractic, like there's just a lot of things where there's touching involved and it's a way, it's a way to like do it in a, in a way that's socially appropriate. Um, airport massage, you know, I remember the first time I saw airport massage, I was like, this just seems so bonkers to me. And now I'm like, oh, I get it, you know? Well, this is something we mentioned this in, in our book, how, you know, we've, we're, we're so accustomed to communicating, you know, on the phone, you know, texting. And when you're communicating a serious emotion, like something's wrong, a parent or a loved one responding, it's going to be okay via the, the phone, via text is not even in the same ballpark as being next to that person and, and whispering in their ear, it's gonna be okay, and giving a hug. Not even in the same ballpark. When you think of the context of the mental health epidemic and anxiety and like this idea, like not even in the same ballpark. Well, and what's what's unfortunate is that a lot of times when people are feeling lonely or when that, you know, when they're feeling anxious, there there's often a, a desire to pull back. And social engagement feels too hard and it feels, and I think sometimes people are even like, I need to take care of myself by, you know, um, uh, not doing something that feels hard. But, you know, what research shows is that we tend to really get a, you know, and I'm not talking about people who are, you know, very seriously depressed, but just in the ordinary course of life, we, we get it, we get a, a boost in happiness from social engagement, even something like just saying hello to a neighbor as you walk by their yard or talking to a clerk when you're, you know, in, in the drugstore, looking at all the things happening in the drugstore. Um, we get a, a boost from that. And so, but I but even though, so, but often when you need that kind of engagement and would benefit from that engagement, you feel like it feels hard and you feel like pulling back. So I do, I think that part of it is really trying to, I think this is what, you know, there's so much research showing that pets make people happier. And I think one reason for a lot of people is like they get you outside, like you're going to the dog park or you're walking around the neighborhood or you're throwing your dog and people are like, oh, your dog is so cute. And you have a little chit chat or, or, you know, your dog and their dog are, you know, stopping. And um, it just, it's a way to have like a very low level, but pleasant engagement with people. Um, not to mention the pet who's, you know, enormously valuable and touch. Yeah. No, I mean, I have a friend who was feeling very, very low. And, um, and so she made it, and we live in New York. So, you know, there's so much foot traffic. She said that she made it, um, she decided that she was going to pet every dog she saw, which is like, she might see 30 dogs in the, you know, in the space of like walking to work or whatever. And she said it, it really made a difference because then again, you pet the dog. The dog is always so happy to be petted. The people would stop and say something. What's your dog's name? Blah, blah, blah. And she said it really, it really made her feel better. 
Fascinating. So of all the, you know, so much great research went into this book. Um, was there one particular study or experience that really stood out to you in this process? I mean, the thing that just astonished me is how different everyone's experience is. I mean, I went into that intellectually knowing that you're like, oh, sure, there's genetics and there's upbringing and all these things. But you're kind of like the world is the world. You know, the sounds of the world are the sounds, the smells, the sights. It's like, how different can it be? So different. I mean, you think of the dress, right? The the famous dress from 2015. I cannot see it blue and black. And that is the color of the dress. If I see white and gold, I cannot see it other than that. Um, with sound, like I live in New York, so there's there's sirens all the time. And I remember I was doing an interview with somebody and um, and we were doing it. And then she stopped the recording and she said, well, let's wait. And I was like, what are we waiting for? And she said, because of the siren. My brain just doesn't tell me that there are sirens because I don't need to hear that. They happen all the time. And so it just, they just fade out. She said, oh, yeah, in Los Angeles, they don't hear the helicopters. But then with smell, you can't smell your home the way a guest smells it. Because to you, it's so familiar. Your nose doesn't give you that information because the nose isn't telling you what's happening. The nose is telling you what you need to know. Change. So if it smells the way it always smells, your brain doesn't tell you. So I walk in there and I'm like, oh my gosh, it smells like air freshener or cologne or dog or cat food or whatever. I might find it overwhelming. You can't smell it. Um, you go away for a month, then you'll smell it. So it's just this idea that we all are just back to the idea of the sugar. I don't, I don't really, when I say I don't notice it, I mean, I don't notice it. Where somebody else might say, oh, well, how can you not? It's like right in the middle of the room or it's like sitting right in the middle. There's a plate of cookies sitting right in the middle of the table. What do you mean you can't, you don't notice it? I'm like, I don't, I don't notice it. It's just, it's, it's really even now surprising to me. Uh, I love the sense of smell. And I will often say to people, oh, smell this, oh, smell that. And then they're like, they, they kind of have to stop for a minute. And then they're like, oh yeah, now that you mention it, I smell it. But it's like, they weren't noticing it. Whereas for me, I'm like, whoa, what just happened? You know, like, what is that? Um, because I, because my brain is like, where's the smell? Well, I think it also speaks to this idea, you know, someone loses one sense and all the other senses are more in tune. Well, yeah. And, you know, sometimes people think that they're more heightened and it's not that they're more heightened. It's that, that we become more, as you say, attuned to them and more skillful in using them. I mean, for instance, it turns out that echolocation is something that like most people can learn how to do. Uh, but if you have sight, you don't use echolocation, whereas people who don't have a sense of sight will often use echolocation. So it, and it, it's just it's something that we just don't tap into, even though it's something that we could take advantage of. Echolocation, I'm assuming, is using your ears to find location. Yeah, like how far away is the wall from my from my head? Um, you know, where's the doorway? Um, things like that. Yeah. So in closing, is there one thing that everyone should start doing today to become more attuned to their senses and help 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 their, you know, help their overall health and well-being? Yes. So here is the wonderful thing about the five senses. Whatever it is that you feel that you need to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, you can harness the five senses. Even things that are seem to point in the opposite directions. So if you feel like you need more calm in your life, you're stressed out, you need more serenity, you can think about how would you tap into your five senses. But maybe you feel listless and sluggish and you want to pump up and feel more energy. You could do that through your five senses. Maybe you want to connect with other people. Nothing is more happy, more important to our happiness than our sense of connection with other people. How could you do that through the five senses? Maybe as we were talking about before, you want to evoke memories. You want to feel tied to your past. 
you, you can use the five senses for that. Maybe you need to sit down and focus and be productive. You can use the five senses for that. Maybe you need to like step out of the box and be more creative and like have, you know, uh, and have more time daydreaming or having creative breakthroughs. You can tap into the five senses for that. You might figure out your neglected sense so that you can like look for that low hanging fruit. Or maybe you want to like lean into your appreciated sense. This is something that you love. The more you know, the more you notice. Maybe you want more of that. But what I find is that whenever people are like, oh, I want this or I want that and my aims for my happiness, if I say, well, how might you do that through the five senses? It doesn't take them long to think of ideas of things they want to try. And they usually are really excited about it. Like, it sounds fun. Um, it's like, oh, I've, I've always wanted to do a sound bath. Why don't I get a friend and we'll go to a sound bath together? I'm like, you will love it. You know, that is going to be, even if it's not fun, it will be fun because it's just, it's just interesting. And um, yeah, so I would say no matter what, no matter what direction you are trying to go, because we all have our own aims within trying to be happier and healthier, um, there's you can probably think of some really fun, concrete, manageable ways to do it through the five senses. So um, I just I feel like it's added so much vitality, um, just in pure delight to my life. I, I hope that I hope that I can convey my enthusiasm to other people. Well, I think you have, and the book is amazing. Life in Five Senses definitely. Uh... I found it to be fascinating and encourage everyone to pick up a copy. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Thank you. I so enjoyed our conversation.